Linton Leadership and Management Consulting is a veteran-owned and operated consulting company based out of Sevierville, Tennessee, with a local, national, and global reach. At Linton Leadership and Management Consulting, we provide leadership, human performance, and management consulting services, as well as coaching to companies of any size on methods to improve performance in their organizations. One-on-one coaching and mentoring is available to all individuals at any level of your organization. Additionally, large and small group seminars can be conducted. In these seminars, information on leadership tactics and techniques is shared, best practices discussed, and team building exercises are conducted, all of which serve to highlight methods on ways to increase the team's and the individual's performance. You can email the show to get the conversation started on exploring ways that we can work together to improve your team's performance. A significant discount will be offered to any Sevier County, Tennessee businesses. Welcome to the Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Linton podcast, coming to you from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee. Be sure and check us out and like us on Facebook and Instagram, and follow us on Telegram, as well as on the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. You can subscribe to notifications on the website to follow the blog there. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Again, that is Larry at LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. Now, on to the episode. As a follow-up to the introduction, if my executive producer, the lovely and talented Kaylee, has her way, we will soon be on TikTok. Yikes! Just kidding. Any way to get the word out is better than not getting the word out. Using as many tools as possible to stand in the arena. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can do so through the show's page on Anchor. Just click the support button and follow the steps. We have a new supporter this week, the dedicated and passionate patriot, Mrs. A.J. DePriest. A.J. is the director of Proposal Logic, a woman-owned, minority-owned small business located just outside Nashville, Tennessee, serving federal contractors with proposal management and technical writing expertise. Since 2011, AJ has served more than 150 federal contractors on proposals for more than 200 federal agencies. While average win rates for federal proposal developers rest around 35%, AJ finished 2020 with a 100% win rate for her clients. Stop losing conventionally and start winning unconventionally. If you are a federal contractor and you are ready to win government contracts, Contact AJ DePriest at 615-474-2123 or email her at aj at proposallogic.com. That's 615-474-2123 or email to aj at proposallogic.com. That's p-r-o-p-o-s-a-l-o-g-i-c dot com. Thank you, AJ both for your continued support of this podcast and in all your efforts to hold the aristocracy accountable to we the people. On to this week's show. I'm sure you and I both know the quickest way to end a relationship is by not being truthful. And it's not limited to just romantic relationships, but every interaction between human beings. Lies break trust. 
In fact, sometimes lying is a crime, especially if you lie to a federal agent. And it doesn't even have to be under oath. We've been witnesses to more and more of these prosecutions over the past two decades, too. The statute that criminalizes lying is Title 18, Section 1001. It states when a person willfully and knowingly tells a false or fraudulent statement to a federal agent in any manner regarding any of the three major branches of government, they can be prosecuted. That affects many individuals in this country because so many different areas of our society are affected by federal law. So isn't that convenient? Our government has made it a crime to lie to them, but our own government can lie with impunity to we the people. Did anybody in the audience catch the Sniffer-in-Chief's quasi-State of the Union address? Yep, we had to wait till the end of April to hear from the most popular president in American history to address a joint session of Congress. 81 million votes. And the completely vaccinated elected official that wears a mask on video conference calls so he can't catch or transmit COVID-19 to the other members on the video call especially since they weren't wearing a mask, but safety first, right? Or is that just a continuing of the sale of a lie? If you did watch it, did you catch how many lies he told during the address? I read the after-action report because I just couldn't bring myself to actually watch a man that called me, and every other veteran, a white supremacist. But anyway, there were some doozies spewed in his speech, and all covering his first 100 days in office. In fact, the Washington Post has decided to stop fact-checking him now. Either because the sniffer-in-chief tells too many lies, or fumbles every other word coming out of his mouth. The media just used to shrug them off as that's just Joe being Joe and not calling him out for his gaffes. Yes, the media and social media bear a lion's share of the responsibility for this laughingstock as our president. I cannot wait for the day when they will be held fully accountable for their malfeasance. Anyway, back to the quasi-State of the Union. Of course, one of the many lies has to do with the left's never-ending pursuit of gun control. Never mind what the Second Amendment states about the right to keep and bear arms, and we'll cover the Bill of Rights and the Constitution in a little bit, but he touted the assault weapons ban in 1994 as contributing to a decline in mass shootings and gun violence. But every study with regards to that piece of legislation that's been done even from liberal institutions of higher learning, as well as the Department of Justice, have concluded that the ban cannot be credited with a decrease in violence carried out with firearms. But facts and logic, they don't have any place in the liberal arena. Or how about the claim about the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War? Two lies in one sentence. Again, the United States of America is not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. Our founding fathers set it up this way because they abhorred a democracy, the mob rules type of government. But I guess the other line in that sentence could be attributed maybe to his dementia. The worst attack? Dementia must have made him forget Pearl Harbor, 9-11, and every other attack on our country or our people that resulted in more than one death. So let's define this insurrection that the media keeps talking about. An insurrection is an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government. And I seem to recall the lie being exposed about the deaths that occurred on Capitol Hill on January 6th of this year. 
especially Officer Switnik's death, that the media, as well as nearly every member of Congress, both Republican and Democrat, stated that he died as a result of a blow to his head with a fire extinguisher. For months, that was the story. Of course, we all know the truth now, don't we? He died of natural causes, strokes, and the day after the January 6th events. And it took up until the 20th of April to get that truth out. Now, the only person that died because of what the left has termed as an armed insurrection was the unarmed female veteran and Trump supporter. An armed insurrection, where the only shots fired were the ones that killed an unarmed protester. I thought law enforcement killing of unarmed people is what caused cities all over America to burn last year. But I guess Miss Ashley Babbitt's life doesn't matter, right? But back to insurrections as we defined it earlier. As far as insurrections go, January 6th pales in comparison to just a couple of events in 2020. First, does anybody here remember the events on 28th of May last year? When peaceful protesters attempted to breach the perimeter of the White House? Where the Secret Service was so concerned they evacuated the President and the First Family to an underground bunker? I'm sure you remember that. The media was all over the President going into the bunker and laughing about it. And more than 50 Secret Service officers were injured, with some of them having broken bones. Does that meet the definition of insurrection? Yes. Has it been called that by the media? No. Why? Again, those pesky whys. It's because the aristocracy and the media are trying to sell you a story, not the story. It's not an insurrection if it's conducted by people on the left. Or how about the federal courthouse in Portland? That is federal property where civil authority and established government conducts business. It was attacked for around a hundred straight nights over the summer, with civil authorities inside it. Was that an insurrection? According to the definition, absolutely. Was it reported as such? Again, no. They're peaceful protests. Again, the why is the same as the assault on the White House. It is a story, not the story. While this is not one of the old sniffer's lies... He said, one of the defining images of this crisis has been cars lined up for miles waiting for a box of food to be put in the trunk. And he asked the question, did you ever think you'd see that in America? Of course we didn't expect to see that. Here is where the why is important. Why did we see that? Well, we saw it because of unconstitutional government lockdowns and determinations by unelected and elected officials of whose job is essential and whose isn't. After all, we have to do more than just build back better. We need to build back better. Those were his words, not mine. Oh my gosh, how is that embarrassment, the President of the United States of America? His address to a joint session is filled with lies and half-truths, all meant to further divide the country, as well as proposals to rob us of our sweat equity. Then he started disparaging the tax cuts of 2017 and how they cost government money, how it raised the deficit. Never, ever believe that line. Tax cuts do not cost a thing. Government spending causes deficits to rise, not tax cuts. If you spend more money than you take in, that's a deficit. At least that's how it works at our house. But that doesn't work that way according to liberal math, though. Tax cuts cost the government. 
Oh, then he went on to say, we the people is the government. This is probably the best example of liberal elitism ever on display. We the people is not the people in Washington, D.C. It is you and I, although we have allowed them to run roughshod over our rights and spend our sweat equity with abandon for decades, now because we haven't been holding them accountable. And this is how liberals honestly think. That Washington, D.C. is we the people. And you and I are just the new surf class to serve their wants and needs. To work to keep them in power. That's enough about the address to Congress. It was sickening to read the transcript. He further went on earlier this week on news programs where his media handlers weren't expecting this. And he stated that nobody who makes less than $400,000 will pay a penny in taxes. He didn't say a penny more, but it's just another gaffe from old Joe. That's what the media has been saying. Just another gaffe, a slip-up. They're covering up their malfeasance and his dementia. I would like to pause for a message from a supporter of this show. For all my listeners that live in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, I want to give a huge shout-out to one of my all-time favorite car mechanics, and longtime good friend Glenn Moser. He is a supporter of this podcast and the owner-operator of Professional Auto, located at 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha, in Virginia Beach. Phone number is 757-962-0102. Not only is Glenn an extremely talented mechanic, but he is also a great American and a staunch supporter of our constitutional rights. My family and I relied on Glenn and Professional Auto for all of our vehicle needs when we lived in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Quality work at a fair price and service with a smile are what you will receive when you take your vehicle to Professional Auto. I encourage all my listeners there in the Hampton Roads area to look them up if your car needs work. Again, that is Professional Auto, 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and the phone number is 757 962 Zero two. All right, welcome back. We previously discussed two of the biggest ways the government lies to us. First, and how they name legislation. And secondly, how they constantly refer to the United States of America as a democracy. Again, we are a constitutional republic. The 13 original colonies, the states, created the federal government. The states are the parents, and the federal government is the child. Somewhere along the way, our country has forgotten that. That the federal government was created by the Constitution that the colonies, or the states, created. Heck, most people don't even have a basic understanding of the U.S. Constitution, or their state's Constitution. Most especially, those that are elected to office that swear an oath to those documents. If you listen to the weekend update, I'll let everybody know that I was attending a briefing on states' rights. It was given by Mr. Jeff Cobble, Esquire, a constitutional attorney based out of Greenville, Tennessee. I must tell you, for somebody that thought they knew the Constitution well, I was blown away. Mostly by the fact that for our entire lives, we have been lied to about that document. Lied to by the aristocracy. Lied to by the media. Lied to by government schools. We will go over some of the Constitution here in a minute, but back to how to sour or destroy a relationship. Lying. It's one of the quickest ways to do that. 
So let's look up U.S. Congress's approval rating. What is it this week? Around 34% approval of the job that Congress is doing. Let me tell you, Congress has not broken out above 40% approval in more than a decade now. And of course, the media will spin the disapproval-approval ratio in the favor of their preferred aristocracy. The real story is that Congress will never get a high approval rating because they lie to us. It's not because of the job they're doing. It's because they lie to us. And we all know it. But the apathy prevalent in the electorate allows it to continue. They lie in the naming of the legislation. They lie in calling us a democracy. And they lie on a continuous basis. And lies that are believed by the citizen sovereign to the extent that most think their efforts to rein in and out of control federal government will not or cannot matter. I was speaking to a listener the other day about this very subject. He was having a discussion with his child about this, and his child said words to that same effect. What we do doesn't matter. Well, first of all, to the listener, great job on teaching your son that our efforts can and do matter. Our government schools are failing us in this area, though. I have said that before, and we'll say it over and over and over and over again. While many school districts across the nation are considering curriculum that is full of lies, such as critical race theory in the 1619 Project, none of them consider teaching about one of the greatest and most unique documents ever produced by mankind for the governing of themselves, and it's our Constitution. Instead, most of the population learns about what the Constitution states, and more insidiously, what it means, from the aristocracy themselves or their media handlers. Our Constitution contains a lot of truth. If only enough of us knew the truth about what is contained in that document, things would be vastly different today. If enough of us hold elected officials accountable for lying to us, the citizen sovereigns, our constitutional republic would change for the better. If enough of us that want to restore a republic become more active at the local, state, and federal level and seek to be the servant leaders that are necessary to restore the electorate's trust in our nation, things will change. But the aristocracy and the media do not want any of that to happen. That is why they work extremely hard to convince us that what we do will not matter. And in some sense, that's true. The small number of Americans that work to do this are having a minimal effect because it's only a small number. But if every citizen sovereign holds the aristocracy and our state and national capitals accountable, things will get better. But the path we are on right now leads to tyranny. So, young man, if you are listening to this episode, get in the arena. Encourage your friends to get in the arena. Stay in the arena, despite what your government school teachers tell you. Stay in the arena, despite what you hear on television or read on the internet. Your birthright is that of citizen sovereign of the United States of America. And once you reach the age of 18, you get to fully exercise those rights. Prepare yourself now to fully exercise your birthright. In addition to the artful lies the aristocracy gives to legislation, did you know they often pass legislation that they are not empowered by the Constitution to pass? Yet the masses accept it because we have been taught that the aristocracy in D.C. must know what they are doing. Well, that's true to a point. They do know what they're doing. But how many of the aristocracy do you think have read Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution? How many of you have read it? Did you know that it specifically lists the laws that Congress can pass? 
I'm going to give you them. Here are the enumerated powers of Congress in Article 1, Section 8. The Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and exercises shall be uniform throughout the United States. And that's the most abused clause, which we'll talk about later. To borrow money on the credit of the United States. To regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. To establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. To coin money, regulate the value thereof and foreign coin, and fix the standard of weights and measures. To provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States. To establish post offices and post roads. To promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive rights to their respective writings and discoveries. To constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court. To define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and of offenses against the law of nations. To declare war, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. This one has an interesting tie to the Second Amendment. To raise and support armies, but no appropriation money to that use shall be for a term longer than two years. To provide and maintain a navy. To make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces. To provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. To provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. To exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, not exceeding 10 miles square, as may by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. And finally, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution, the government of the United States, or in any department or officer thereof. Well, it's a pretty long and very wordy list, but we'll cover some of it. But, in everything I just read, did you hear anything about health care? Did you hear anything in what I just read about marriage? Did you hear anything in what I just read about safety? Did you hear anything in what I just read stating that all of this is moot if technological advances are made that were not considered? No. So, Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution lays out exactly the type of legislation that Congress can pass. They are specifically enumerated powers. No part of Section 8 has been amended either. And we know that it can be because there are currently 27 amendments to the Constitution, and many of them have changed portions of other sections of Article 1, but none to Section 8. No amendment has changed anything in Article 1, Section 8. The enumerated power specifying what laws Congress can pass has been in place since 1789. Now remember, our country was founded upon individual liberty. And part of the individual liberty 
is the liberty to fail and make mistakes. The Constitution does not grant any power to Congress to keep us healthy and safe. I mean, what would be the limit on that? Just how safe do you want other people, those aristocracy, to keep you? A government big enough to keep you safe is one in which individual liberty does not exist. How many laws have been signed that are outside the scope of the authorities listed in Section 8 that I just read? Why has nothing been done to stop it? Well, for starters, apathy. Secondly, there is the fact that our public, government schools, do not educate our children on this document. If they do, often in only passing or misinformed, either willfully or negligently. And third... And this is the driver of the first two reasons. The aristocracy lies to us about it. Lies to us about the powers that they have. They use that general welfare clause to cover their deception. They'll say, this law will promote the general welfare of the country. Either they have never read what the Founding Fathers stated about that wording, or they have and choose to ignore it in their lust for power. As Rob Nadelson, a brilliant constitutional attorney, described in his paper, the general welfare clause in the public trust, and I hear him quoting, the clause was designed as a trust-style rule denying Congress authority to levy taxes for any but general national purposes. Because the clause prevented Congress from using tax revenue for the local or special interest purposes, the clause indirectly qualified the appropriation power. Even if some enumerated power could be enlisted to support the appropriation, federal tax money was not to be used for the private benefit of a museum, however worthy, in Savannah, nor an artist, however struggling, in New York. Hey, think back to these uh, COVID relief bills. Didn't museums get money? Yeah, I think they did. And James Madison, you know, he's one of those guys around when the Constitution was written. He said that to take the clause as a general grant of power for the federal government to do anything that promotes the general welfare would be, and I quote, a metamorphosis of the Constitution into a character which there is a host of proofs was not contemplated by its creators. And this is James Madison. He was one of the proponents of a strong central government, and yet he said those words. Does anybody in the aristocracy read? Don't think so. Or they do and they ignore it. All of what I just said is general knowledge, and it's available to the entire public, even the aristocracy in D.C. Yet what do they do? They abuse the general welfare clause ad nauseum to grow their power and deny us our liberty. And the Founding Fathers went even further when they passed the Bill of Rights. How many of you in the audience know that there is a preamble to the Bill of Rights, just as there is a preamble to the Constitution? Few, I would guess. Well, let me read it to you. It states, The conventions of a number of the states, having at the time of their adopting the Constitution, expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. And as extending the ground of public confidence in the government, will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution. So as a recap, Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution states that all legislative power resides in the Congress, which is made up of the House and the Senate, never in the executive branch or the judicial branch. 
Article 1, Section 8 lists the laws that the legislative branch can make. In a legal document, the enumeration of specific powers logically excludes all powers not listed. And this is a legal maxim. It's designato unis est exclusio alteris, meaning the designation of one is the exclusion of the other words. In fact, another of the writers of the Constitution, you may have heard of him, Thomas Jefferson, he said Congress had not unlimited powers to provide for the general welfare, but were restrained to those specifically enumerated. Do we see that today? And then, along comes the Bill of Rights to clarify Article 1, Section 1, and Article 1, Section 8, by stating the amendments added were declaratory and restrictive. And as I've stated before, our Constitution was written to restrict government, not the people. For the past few decades, which of those two parties has been more restricted, government or the people? I believe the answer is obvious. I would like to encourage each and every one of you that listens to this show to read the Constitution. Ask your school boards if they teach it. If they do, what reference material do they use? Get involved at the local, state, and federal level to ensure elected officials read that document. Write to them and ask them about their thoughts about Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Ask them if they've ever voted for a piece of legislation that falls outside of their enumerated powers. Research the bills in Congress and see for yourself if it falls within Article 1, Section 8. Stand in the arena. Be the citizen sovereign. Our founding fathers wrote the Constitution and Bill of Rights to be. The citizen sovereign. The actual we the people that is in charge of the government. They work for us. We don't work for them. Challenge every law that falls outside Article 1, Section 8. The best examples that I can say is this legislation about gun safety or common sense gun laws. Article 1, Section 8 mentions nothing about firearms. The Bill of Rights says Congress shall not infringe the people's right to bear arms. Yet here we are today. Stand in the arena. Take the fight to them. Use the Constitution as your weapon and your shield. I would like to leave you with this for the rest of the week from God's Word, Ephesians 4:24. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There is a lot of truth in our Constitution. There is a lot of falsehood in D.C. and our state capitals. Speak truth with our neighbors. Ensure your local school boards are instructing the truth. We are all American neighbors with the birthright of being the citizen sovereign of this great republic. Until next week, when we'll be discussing liberty, I pray you all have a wonderful rest of the week and a great weekend. May the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you. Yours in liberty. Reveille, it's time to wake up.